Good morning. Well, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at Sojourn Heights. Um, as he said, we are starting a new series that we're calling Christ of the Covenants. Uh, what I want to do today is I, I want to start out by giving an introduction to the series uh, because my, my hope is today that I would lay a foundation uh, for the series, for where we're going to go the next uh, the next five weeks talking about a front, why we're calling what we're calling it, and how we're going about it. All right. So we are uh, we're calling it Christ of the Covenants because uh, throughout the Bible, God made a series of covenants from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to the New Covenant. And uh, we're theming this, if you will. Uh, we're going to talk through it. Um, calling it successive waves of God's grace. And our hope is that in showing the centrality of Jesus in each covenant, we'll be able to show the centrality of Jesus from beginning to end in the Bible, which is the story of humanity and the story of our lives. And the way that we're going to do it is we're doing a thematic series uh, with thematic sermons. So let me explain what that means. Normally, when we preach sermons at Sojourn Heights, we what we do is we uh, we open up a passage, uh, and we just kind of go line by line through a passage where we, uh, where we read it, we explain it, we apply it to us, uh, and that's kind of the normal diet of preaching around here because uh, we think that's the best way, or that should be the normal diet of uh, Bible reading in your own life, and so we want our sermons uh, to model the normal way that we read the scriptures and the uh, predominant way that we read the scriptures, right? However, that's not the only way to read the scriptures. Uh, there's also thematic reading of the scriptures where you take a, uh, a, a piece of the story from here, a piece of the story from here, a piece of the story from here, and you put it together so that you can see the entirety of the story more clearly. And so we want our preaching to reflect and to teach and to train into you holistic Bible reading. Does that make sense? Good, we'll call that a yes, okay. Um, so, uh, when we say our theme is uh, covenants, we say they are successive waves of God's grace. Let me, uh, let me give an illustration of what, what we mean. Imagine with me, uh, imagine with me you're standing in the ocean, water up to your ankles. Now, this is not Galveston. Uh, I need you to picture something blue or green. Uh, it can be pink. It can be anything but the brown water of Galveston. But you're standing there, uh, ankles in the water. And the waves come in, one after another. If you stand there long enough, here's what you're going to notice. You're going to notice that the waves build on one another as the tide rises. Um, so let's imagine it like this. We're standing there. We're, we're standing ankles in the ocean, waves coming in and crashing. Wave one comes in, it's Adam. Wave two comes in, it's Noah. Wave three comes in, it's Abraham. Wave four, Moses. Five, David. But then all of a sudden, the waves just stop. The shoreline recedes. And then out of nowhere, this tsunami tidal wave that is the new covenant comes crashing in. Now, these waves in the ocean, these are successive waves organically connected, forming one rising tide. This is how we see the covenants in the Bible. Organic, uh, successive covenants, organically connected, forming one rising tide of grace until the new covenant comes crashing in. All right, so let's talk Adam. 
Um, you, you don't need to be uh, you don't need to be a sociologist to know that something is wrong in the world. Uh, I've given this illustration a half dozen times. I'm going to give it again. Uh, if I asked you, hey, raise your hand if you're from a dysfunctional family or your family has dysfunction in it, uh, everyone in this room is going to raise their hands except for people with family in the room. The first time I gave that illustration here was the Sunday uh, that my family decided to show up and surprise me. Uh, and so so that was awkward. Uh, I had to go down and say, hey, listen, in a minute, you're going to be upset with me, uh, but you know it's true, and we'll talk about it at lunch, okay? So... <laughs> Uh, uh, but here's the, here's the reality. Like, broken families, this is a universal reality. This is not an American issue. It's not an Asian issue. It's not an African issue. It, it is a universal human reality that when we're together at a family reunion or you're, you're having dinner with your family at a house or you, you go back home or they come to see you, uh, you, you know that the brokenness that exists within our families is not the way families are meant to be. We know that. And yet, and yet, none of us have been able to escape it. And here's what this covenant with Adam is going to do. It's going to show us where it came from and what God did about it and what he is doing about it. All right. Adam. Uh, Adam was the first man created by God, created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, when we talk about the covenant God made with Adam, we're talking primarily about Genesis 1 and 2. But here's the deal. The word covenant doesn't show up in the Bible until Genesis 6. And so let's talk about it. A covenant is this. Let me define a covenant for you. A covenant is a binding relationship with promises and conditions. A binding relationship with promises and Conditions. It's why uh, we, we have some engaged people. We have some, I hope to be engaged people, and we've got some married people in the room. Uh, and when we talk about marriage, we talk about it as a covenant. Why? It's a binding relationship. When you go to a wedding ceremony, uh, almost always you're going to hear some form, some variation of till death do us part. Right? We, we as, I, you know, I don't know. We, we might not like the language till death do us part now. It might feel archaic, and so we try to rewrite it and put in our own, uh, you know, modern language to it. But, but the point is, somewhere in there is till death do us part in some way, some form. It's a binding relationship, but it also comes with promises, right? Mutual self-giving. I, I give myself to you. You give yourself to me. The intimacy, joy, and relationship, there's promises that come. There's also conditions, are there not? Don't have sex with somebody else. It's a condition. It's not a complex condition. It's pretty straightforward. Sex with me and me alone, not somebody else. There's conditions. Marriage is a covenant, binding relationship, with promises and conditions. And when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, here's what you find. You don't find the word covenant, but you find the content of a covenant there. You find the entire content of a covenant in Genesis 1 and 2, and we'll see that as we go. But in this covenant, in Genesis 1 and 2, there are four themes, four themes that we need to highlight and we need to know to understand as the series goes on. These are the, uh, these are the do this of the covenant. So when God comes to Adam and says, hey, Adam, uh, go and do this. Go and do that. Go and do this. There's, there's four of them. Here they are. One, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply. This is um, God saying to Adam, hey, take the image of God and go spread it throughout the earth. Take my image that I created you in and go spread it throughout the earth. Theme two, subdue the earth. 28 again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is uh, labor, go and work. In Genesis 2, it's going to say, hey, they're put in the garden to work and keep it. This is go, tend the garden, work, fill the earth, subdue the earth. Theme three, keep the Sabbath. Genesis 2, 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That God wired rest into creation and then created us in his image. It means that that rest is part of the human DNA, if you will. Theme four, hold fast to your wife. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And marriage, it was woven into creation. It wasn't simply, hey, something's gone wrong. I've got to fix what's gone wrong. And I'm going to give marriage as an illustration of how I fix what went wrong. Marriage, it was woven in to the created order. These Four themes are all in Genesis 1 and 2, which means this. They are all inherently good. They're all innately and inherently good. Sex is good. Work is good. Rest is good. Marriage is good. All right, sex, it was, it was God's design, God's plan, God's desire. It, it wasn't um, Genesis 1, God, say, God speaks the world exists now, and then God's like, man, I need a, I need a break. Um, day seven, I'm going to take some rest. Uh, and then Satan slips in there uh, and says, I've got an idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wreck this whole thing. Watch me. Sex. Bam. That's not how it works. Okay. Sex is God's wiring, God's design, God's creation. It's why men and women in the room, it's why pornography is so damaging. It's why you're not just dehumanizing the person you're watching. You're not just dehumanizing your spouse or your future spouse. It's why you're actually dehumanizing yourself. Sex has been wired by God to give you a taste of Genesis 1 and 2. And when you walk outside the boundaries of marriage in any form, you you get a taste of what is going to come after Genesis 3 which is to dehumanize yourself. That's why it's so damaging. It's why, it's why work and rest, that's why rest is so important. It's why if you, if you work seven days a week and you never take a break, and it's not, I understand uh, that some of your jobs in seasons require you to work seven days a week, 14 hours a day, nonstop. I, I get that. Uh, but there, there is this reality at play that if if you never take a break, if seven days a week is the normal rhythm and pattern of your life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, over time, find your soul just starting to shrivel, just starting to shrink and to shrivel. You're, you're going um, you're, you're to find yourself bitter, angry, agitated all the time, not knowing why. Here's why. You're, 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 you're railing against the created order that God wired rest into humanity. You need rest. Rest is good. Rest is good. 
Now, here's what's, um, here's what's unique about the covenant with Adam. Uh, these four themes, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, marriage, hold fast to your wife. These four themes are woven throughout the Bible. They're woven from beginning to end, and they're woven into each one of our covenants. And so as we go throughout the series, we're going to see how each one of these, uh, these themes get played out in, uh, in each covenant. We're going to trace them to the end that in week six, when that tsunami tidal wave that is the grace of the new covenant comes crashing in, we see how we, we live out these redeemed themes as the church. Why? So that we together can live out the restored image of God. That we together can put back the broken pieces of the image of God in one another that we might live out a reflection of that restored image. And so this covenant God made with Adam and had four themes. These are the to-dos of the covenant. And now and now the what does Adam get? All right, these are the to-dos. Now the here's what you get, Adam. The promises of the covenant. There's three Three promises, life, paradise, relationship. Life, Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Here, God breathes life into man, physical, spiritual, emotional. So in this series that we just went through in John, we repetitively looked at what, what is the good life? What is the life that Jesus died for you to have? And what we said was the good life is life that, that is with Jesus or, to say it this way, life that comes from God. If we were to do a thematic uh, series or a thematic sermon on the good life in John, it would have taken us all the way back to Genesis 2-7, life that originated in God. It would have taken us right back here. Second promise, the Garden of Eden, paradise. Verse 8, and the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This word Eden, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it was written in Hebrew. Uh, New Testament was written in Greek. And in the days of Jesus, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And you know what word they used to translate Eden? The word they used is the word paradisos. Sound like anything? Paradise. It's the word we get the word paradise from. When they looked back at Eden, when they looked back at Genesis 1 and 2, saw Eden, they said, now that's paradise. That's, that's where I want to live. The heights, nothing compared to that. <laughs> then it was called a garden, which simply reinforces paradise. D.A. Carson uh, said this. D.A. Carson, if you don't know, is a theologian, brilliant. He's smarter than this whole room combined. He said, next to heaven, garden is the preeminent image of human longing. One should not be surprised to find that the garden is one of the framing images of the Bible story. In Genesis 2, Adam's provided the Garden of Eden as a perfect home and workplace. In Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem is described as the ideal joining of garden and city. That what Adam lost was no less than paradise. And what we are redeemed into is a paradise that is to come. Promise three is relationship. 
Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is Adam and Eve. And woven throughout one and two is the intimate relationship of God and man. That in the beginning, in the original design, there was no need for a mediator, right? It wasn't um, God on this side of the bridge, on, on this side of the river, man on this side of the river, and we need someone to build a bridge for us. That's not how it was in the original design. There was no need for a mediator. Man and God were on the same side of the river, on the same side of the river, that presence and intimacy is the DNA of the original design. It's why. If you showed up in here today, like if, you walk, if somebody invited you uh, or you're a member and you just, you just came and you couldn't care less about a line-by-line sermon, you couldn't care less about thematic sermon, like that is utterly meaningless to you because you walked in here desperately lonely, simply wanting someone to acknowledge your existence. Here's why you're lonely. It's not because you're alone. It's because you have been hardwired by God for relationship. It's because you are created in the image of God and relationship is woven into your DNA. It's not simply because you're alone. It's because you've been hardwired by God for relationship. It's also why it's also why the loneliest people in the world that's that might be an overstatement. Let me restate that. Some of the loneliest people in the world are those who are married in a cold, dead, drifting marriage. Like you you want to see someone who is desperately lonely to be known? Look at someone who entered into a covenant of marriage thinking this is going to, well, I'm going to find life, relationship, intimacy, only to find cold, dead, drifting marriage. You want to find someone alone? Look at that person. Now, I know some of you in here are thinking, hey, listen, I, like, I am utterly paralyzed, right? Like, the thought of one date that could lead to two dates, that could lead to three, that might lead to a proposal, that might lead to, like, I am paralyzed at the thought of that. And Brandon, you just made it worse. Fair. Fair enough. So let me give a, hey, let me give a pointer on how you enter into a marriage. And listen, there's no foolproof plan. Uh, but let me give a tip, a pointer on how to enter into a marriage where that marriage is going to live out Genesis 1 and 2 and the relationship of Genesis 1 and 2. Look at how that potential spouse, he or she, look at how they enter into community. Look at how they value relationship inside the church. Is, in our context, in our local church, neighborhood parish. Is neighborhood parish fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh on the priority list? Here's why I use community inside the church as as an illustration. When you look at how someone values relationships inside the church, you're getting a window, a glimpse, into how they're going to value relationship with you. And I know, and I know, that is not a universal statement. You can keep your email. I know that, that there are story after story where that that wasn't true, and God was unbelievably gracious and redeemed their marriage. It's beautiful. I get that. 
But that is a proverbial statement. It's a proverb to live by. It's generally true. And those of you who are sitting here right now dating, like if I could say something that might turn a lot of y'all off and you think, man, I'm never going back there again, I'll take that gamble. Looking at the person you're dating thinking, no, 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 no. Not this guy, not this girl. We have a significant counseling budget waiting for you. And we've got pastors whose office is going to be open to you one day. In the original relationship with God and Adam, he promised life. He promised paradise. He promised relationship. The question is now, how did Adam keep it? How did he keep it? The conditions of the covenant. Chapter 2, 15. We've already read this, but I'm going to read these again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So how does Adam keep the promise? Obedience. Obey this command. The themes, those are the four to do's, and now here's the one don't do. And it's not complex. It's not a difficult command. Don't eat of that tree. Hey, Adam, the entire globe is yours to go work till anything in the garden you want. It's yours, man. You can have it all except that one tree. Don't eat of that one tree. So did Adam obey? I think most of us know the answer. We already read it. The answer is no. The answer is no. And the penalty of this was death. The penalty of this brokenness was death. A few weeks ago, we, we quoted Luce Ferry, a French atheist philosopher, um, who said, all of human history, all of humanity has been trying to deal with the reality of death. All of human thought, all of human philosophy, every religion is man trying to deal with the reality of death. And this is where it came from. And we instinctively and innately know, as does the globe, that death is not the way it's meant to be. It's not the way it's meant to be. Listen, I, I, have, these, um, I, I have these weird pictures in my mind about the future. Like, like I, I, like I want to, these aren't weird. Like I picture my kids growing up and then I picture my, my wife and I getting older and older and older and older. And then one day, one day we're sitting on a balcony. This is what's in my mind. We're on a second-story balcony. Now, we're old at this point. I have no idea why we're on the second story of anything, okay? Well, we must have built an elevator, I think. But we're on the second-story balcony. We're drinking coffee. We're, we're talking about, about all that we got to see our kids do. We're talking about the joys of life and the brokenness of life. We're talking about sojourn and, and our years here and what it was like. And we talked about... What, what it was like to hand it off at this point to somebody else to lead. And, uh, and, uh, and then there's going to be this day where one of us goes. One of us is going to go first. And in that moment, in that day, here's what we're going to feel. We're going to feel this is not right. Like 40, 50, 60, not 60, I don't want to be that old, 40 more years. And at the end of it, she goes, I'm going to feel this is not right. This is not the way it's meant to be. 
And the reason I'm going to feel it's not the way it's meant to be is because it's not the way it's meant to be. Genesis 1 and 2, there was no death. Death is a result of the fall. It's part of the brokenness of humanity. It's why when we're at a funeral, we know this is not right. This is not right. We know this. The penalty is death. The result, the result is shame. Genesis 2.25. This is pre-sin. This is pre-fall. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 3.7. After the fall. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Listen, what was beautiful became embarrassing. What was beautiful, I'm naked, I'm free, we're together, became embarrassing. I've got to cover myself up. I've got to hide myself from you. That's why, ladies, when you, when you open up a magazine and you see an airbrushed woman on there, and you think to yourself, why, don't, why can't I look like that? Like, why don't I get to look like that? Like, never mind that she's airbrushed. Why can't I look like that? Why don't I look like that? Like, that is, that is Genesis 3. That is the shame of the fall. That's, that's the brokenness getting played out. And if I could take it a step farther, if I could take it a step farther, this is what I would say. Even the fact that we airbrush the world's most beautiful people. And can we just acknowledge there are some people in the world more beautiful than the rest of us. Like Tom Brady is better looking than I am. Tom Brady is a pretty, pretty man. He's talented. I'm envious. No, I'm not. I am a little bit, a lot, really. Uh, But here's the point. Even the most beautiful men and women in the world get airbrushed because even our most beautiful people are, are uncomfortable being seen as they are. Listen, insecurity over physical appearance has very little to do with how you look and a whole lot to do with Genesis 3. Or men, that thing in you that flares up when when you're talking to somebody and you say, hey, man, what do you do for a living? And they're like, well, I do this for a living. And you're like, oh, wow, that's, you're a lot more successful than I am. And so you just kind of cower out, back out. You feel embarrassed. You, you move on. Try to shift the convo to Tom Brady. <laughs> what, what is that? that? That is a manifestation of shame. It's just a different version of it. So this penalty is death, results is shame, but it doesn't stop there. It led to broken themes and forfeited promises. So our four themes, um, uh, our, our four themes that, that were, I'm going to remember them in a second. Our four themes, uh, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, rest, honor the Sabbath, uh, marriage, hold fast to your wife. These four themes, you, if you go into Genesis 3, we can see all four of them broken and getting much more difficult but then it led to forfeited promises. It led to death. It led to, um, it led to relationships being broken. 
that which God and man need a no mediator now needs a mediator. It led to um, relational Adam and Eve harmony. What was harmony uh, became a game of he said, she said. And the question now, in light of Adam's disobedience, is how did God respond? And the answer, the answer, might just redefine God for some of us. The answer to that question is grace in the moment and grace to come. Genesis 3.8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is right after sin. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. And then verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Listen, they didn't die, physically at least, spiritually, emotionally, absolutely. They didn't die, and God came to them. God entered into their shame and covered their shame. God was gentle in the moment. Let me tell you what this means. There is nobody, there is nobody in this room that doesn't have something in your life that you're not embarrassed about. There is nobody in this room. I don't care if you have lived, slept, eaten in the church your entire life or if you've been in and out of prison. There is nobody in this room that doesn't have something in their life that they're not ashamed of, not embarrassed about, that if we threw up on the screen right now, you would dart out of here never to return. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have that story somewhere in your past. And what God is saying to you is I'm gentle with my grace in the moment. And the reason that I can look you in the eye and I can say to you, God is gentle with grace in the moment in the same way that he was gentle in the moment coming to Adam and Eve is that he is violent with the grace that is to come. Violent with the grace that is to come. Genesis 3, 15 to Satan says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You want to know the first place the gospel was preached? Right here. How? How did this come about? How was the the heel bruised and the head crushed. Genesis 2.9 says there's two trees, tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when God expelled, set Adam and Eve outside the garden, listen to what he says, Genesis 3.22, this right here will take us directly to the heart of the gospel. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Listen. 
when Galatians says that Jesus was the offspring who climbed up on a tree, who reconciled us as a cursed man, when it says cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, here's what it is saying. It's saying the door to the tree of life was closed until, until Jesus would climb the tree of death and open it. The door to the tree of life was closed until Jesus would climb the tree of death and open it. It's on the cross that Jesus bruised his heel as he crushed the serpent's head so that we who deserve death might get life, so that we, we might get to taste Revelation 2-7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to him to eat of the tree of life. I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. See, in Christ, we come to Christ. We get to taste of the tree of life. We get to live out a foretaste of the paradise that is to come. And when we look, when we look at Genesis 3 and we see grace in the moment and the grace that is to come, it leads to a grace-driven holiness. Let me explain. Genesis 3.15, here's what God did. God declared war on the Satan. On the Satan. On Satan. Article, whatever. God declared war on the Satan. I did it again, didn't I? (laughs) I'm moving on. And because he did, because he did, we now, we now declare war on all that came through the serpent. Because God declared war on the serpent, we now declare war on all that came through the serpent, which is why, which is why together we fight sin with vigor. It's why we fight sin with a vigor. God declared war on the serpent. We now, as his people in Christ, declare war on all that came through the serpent. All. Injustice in society, injustice in our families, sin corporately, sin personally, we declare war on all that came through the serpent. All, which is why every single time when we talk about, hey, what, what if we did this? Like, like, what if this was our life, that we lived open, honest, rich, transparent lives? Here's why we're saying that. In living transparently, we are declaring war on what came through the serpent because here's what we're saying. We're saying, I am not going to live an airbrushed life. I'm going to live, spiritually speaking, they were naked and not ashamed. I'm not going to hide myself. I'm not going to airbrush my life. I'm not going to airbrush my marriage. I'm not going to airbrush my loneliness. I'm not going to airbrush my insecurity. I'm going to live, I'm naked and not ashamed. This is who I am. I need the grace of God. Help me so that we together, together, 
as a people might live out the restored image of God. So that we together, as a community of faith, that we might together live out a restored image of God, taking the four broken themes and putting them back together in our lives. So that, so that we might have something to offer the world. So that, so that we might have something to offer the world, to offer our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family who are still chasing Genesis 3, still embracing the airbrushed life that we could say to them, you don't have to live that life. You could come in, come in. You can come and live. I'm naked and not ashamed and watch the freedom that there is in Christ. So that, so that the grace that is, the grace that is to come might be put on display. Did you know that the tree of life, it makes one more appearance in the Bible. Revelation 22, the last chapter in the story. When we talk about, when we talk about being a distinctive people, not living airbrushed lives, pursuing as a community, I'm naked and not ashamed. Here's what we're doing. You want to know why Sojourn exists? Here it is. You ready? It's so that we can tell the world and put on display, hey, there's a paradise to come. There's a life that is to come. And in here, in this community, you can get a foretaste of it. Not a perfect foretaste, my goodness. Jacked up, broken foretaste, but a foretaste nonetheless. We are here to take what God did in Christ, redeeming what was broken in Genesis 3, and to put it on display of how we live with one another and how we love our city. So that, so that. Our neighbors might get a taste of the tree that is to come. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you uh, for the scriptures and that we can open them up and that we can take pieces of the story, put them together, and see the entirety of the story. Father, my prayer is that this, that this sermon series, this series right here, tracing successive waves of your grace to us in Christ, this sermon series might strengthen, equip, deepen us as a community to go out and live, live what's available on the tree of life that is to come. That maybe, just maybe, our neighborhood and our city might be different because of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.